You ever argue with somebody who always has to have the last word? Anybody, any last word people here? Who's the last word? Come on, come on. Who's the last word? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got to have the last word. Some of you aren't raising your hand. Everybody's looking at you like, come on. You know, we know, everybody knows. You're the last word person. You know, it's interesting, of course, Clint and Elizabeth sitting here on the front. When, when I took them through their, their premarital counseling experience, it became obvious that Clint did have to have the last word, right? <laughs> Pretty much. I just got the last word on Anyway, um, but yeah, we, we talked about that. Isn't it interesting how in relationships, whether they're close as, as in a married relationship or just become b- between friends or even coworkers, you, you notice that very quick. Somebody's going to have the last word. They, they think they're right or they, they refuse to be one-upped. And so you always have that person. And, you know, we, we have a family of six. And so we, have, we actually have I, probably at least five of us. At least five of us are last word people. At least, maybe all six. And so those of you that know our family, you, you probably recognize that. You know, you've had my, my children in, in different times. You know, so we never stop. I mean, it just, it, it, never, it never stops. And so, you know how that is, though, to, to, to have somebody, they've got to have the final word. And there's really, there's nothing you can do about it. You try. You try to, okay, all right, that's it, that's it, that's it, stop. And then they say something else. That's just the way that it goes. Now, there, there's a story of kind of a back and forth in the Bible where, where we need to be very grateful that Jesus gets the last word. He, he has the final word. I, I want you to, to understand that that's kind of what we're looking at. Jesus himself will get the final word, both in this story, then again on the cross, then again at the resurrection, and, and once again, finally for all, when he returns, he will have the final word. And that's what we're looking at today in John chapter 11. You got a Bible, I want you to turn there with me, John chapter 11. As I tell you each week, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, or maybe you didn't bring a Bible with you, we've got one there in the pew for you or in, in the chair in front of you. Grab one of those. The Bible is divided into two parts. There's the Old Testament, there's the New Testament. The New Testament covers about the latter third. So if you turn about two-thirds of the way over in your Bible, you'll hit probably somewhere in the New Testament. The Gospel of John is the fourth book in the New Testament. And if you need to, please just go to the table of contents. We'd love for you to have God's Word in front of you this morning. And if you do not have a copy, a personal copy of the Bible, please just take that one with you when you leave. We're going to look at a story, John chapter 11, where... Well, there's not really an argument going on, but there is a back and forth. And Jesus will get the last word. Now, just for a second, imagine going back and forth with Jesus as if you know more than he does, right? And you're in this story, and that's kind of what the people are going to do. They're, they're going to say, yeah, but, yeah, but, okay, yeah, but. That's what they're going to do over and over and over in John chapter 11. And Jesus just keeps making statements. Now, it's not hard for us to imagine going back and forth with Jesus on the yeah, but stuff, right? Because we do it every day, don't we? You know, we look at these Bible characters, well, I would never do that, you know, right? Do it every single day. Yeah, Jesus, but, you know, I, okay, yeah, I know, I know what you were saying. I understand what you said in the scripture, but I got to live my life. I mean, I, you know, I, anyway, that's the way we do it. He has already given the final word, and he's just going to keep repeating it until we stop talking, until we listen and take it in, until we believe it. So I want you to look with me, John chapter 11, and the story of the raising of Lazarus. Some of you may know this Bible story, some of you may not. 
Uh, it, is a, it is a very important uh, Bible story. It is one of the seven signs that Jesus will do in the Gospel of John to confirm his identity as the Son of God, display the glory of God, and reveal who he is. And we'll see in here the seventh of the seven I am statements that Jesus gives, drawing a direct connection to God in Exodus chapter 3. People are wondering who he is. He keeps repeating God's words over and over. And so anyway, we'll get some of that stuff. Look at chapter 11, verses 1 through 3 to start with. Now a man was sick, Lazarus, from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, and it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent a message to him. Now pause right there for just a second. We're going to work through this verse by verse, and we're going to look at the back and forth that takes place. I really think what we, what we get here is two different perspectives on reality, on sickness, on death, on life itself, and we're just going to look at the back and forth. So if you kind of follow along with me, we'll go verse by verse, but we'll look at the back and forth, the interaction that Jesus has, not only here with the sisters, but with his disciples, and as we'll see, ultimately sort of with the crowd. So look... Again, it says here, to finish up verse 3, Lord, the one you love is sick. So the first words that we get of conversation, a message sent to Jesus that says, Lord, the one that you love is sick. Now this came from the sisters of this man, Lazarus, and Jesus would immediately know who they're talking about because he had a very special relationship. Lazarus was a guy that Jesus was close friends with. Jesus was not a guy who walked around like a zombie on earth simply getting to the cross and nobody had any closeness to him. It's not who Jesus was. There were people who, who in human relationship status had a very close standing with Jesus. Lazarus was one of those guys. He cared about him very much and it seems as if this is an unexpected illness. This is not something that Lazarus is just simply wearing out and his body is giving out because of, of living such a long life or something like that. This is an unexpected sickness. And so there's a, there's, there's a message sent, Lord, the one you love is sick. What do you think they're saying? What do you think? What, what are the sisters saying? Hey, we just wanted you to know Lazarus isn't feeling well. He's got a cold. And, and you know, if you wouldn't mind, keep him in your prayers. You know, he's having a tough time. What, what are they asking Jesus to go and do? What do you think? To go heal him, right? This is a desperate situation. Uh, Lord, Lazarus, you, you know him, right? That guy that you were close with, that guy you really care a lot about, he's about to die. And they leave it at that, but what are, what are they implying? You ever had somebody do that to you? Like hoping you'll connect the dots? That's what they, We don't really want to say it, but God, Jesus, would you, would you mind to come and, and heal him? That's what they're asking. And, and then... It says in verse 4, when Jesus heard it, he said, so here's the back and forth, Lord, the one you love is sick. And then he says in response, this sickness will not end in death. Okay, cool. That, that's good. That, that's, uh, maybe he's going to go heal him. It's not going to end in death. But Jesus says in verse, in verse 4, but it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So Jesus begins this talk about, here's what I'm going to be doing and why I'm going to be doing it. The sickness won't end in death. They think physical death. He's thinking something completely different, as we'll see in the story. And he says the whole purpose of this event, this, this episode happening, is so that the Son of God will be glorified through this. 
And that's what's most important. That's what's going to drive everything that Jesus does. This is what sets up the whole story. Jesus, from the very outset, says, I've got this under control. This sickness will not ultimately end in death. There will be a different ending. There will be a different final word. And ultimately, the purpose of all this is so that God may receive glory through his son. I wonder if that's the reason why Lazarus is sick in the first place. I don't know. I wonder if maybe some of the bad things that happen to good people, those questions that come, I wonder if Jesus would simply say in response to us, ultimately that will not have the final word, but through this God will receive glory, and that's the main idea. Pretty tough to handle, isn't it? Wait a minute. So you're telling me that there are things that happen that that there's no real answer for other than God will somehow use this to gain glory for himself, that his son might be glorified? Yeah. Do, do we understand that when Jesus here is interacting, he does not handle it on a human level? He handles it partly on a human level, as we'll see his emotion, but he handles it on a God level. And on a God level, there are some things, folks, that we will never understand this side of heaven. Never understand it. I wish I could tell you all the answers. I'd be a very bad pastor and a very very bad counselor if I said, well, let me just tell you exactly why this happened. I have no idea. In some cases, I will never be able to explain it, why you face what you face, why you've gone through what you've gone through, why you're dealing with what you're dealing with. But I can tell you for sure that that will not have the final word. And that ultimately God will be glorified and he will show us along the way what he's doing in our lives through it. That's what sets up this whole thing. Jesus says, ultimately God will be glorified. That's the purpose. That's central to the understanding of what's happening. That's how we can interpret these events. And often the only way that we can interpret what happens to us. Because look at what he does at the end of, of, uh, in in verse 5. Look at verse 5. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. It's just kind of thrown in there, by the way, by John. Do you see it being sort of parenthetical? By the way, he really did care about them. And then this translation puts it in, in sort of a, in kind of a because thing. It's more just kind of an and. So it says, when he heard that he was sick, he got up immediately and ran as fast as he could to Bethany because he did not want Lazarus to die. And praise God, that's the end of the story right there. Just you can close your Bible. John 11 ends, Jesus running, just running. There he goes, sprinting to come to the aid of Lazarus. You know what it says? Look at it. When he, when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Uh, he loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, and so he just hung out for a couple more days. Does that not seem odd to you? I mean, just read the story face value. Read it as if you're there and you don't know the end of John 11. Read it as if you don't know that later on Jesus will call Lazarus out of the tomb. Read it that way. Read it as the 12 disciples who are standing around and they're looking at Jesus and he says, he's not, it's not going to end in death. That will not have the final word. And they're expecting at any moment he's going to bolt and take off and go And he stays there two more days. We don't even get really word of what he's doing for those two days. He's just there. And then it says in verse 7, after that it says, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. 
Let's go. It's time, it's time to go. Now, when he does this, just make no mistake, he's turning his face toward Jerusalem, as the, as the old Bible adage says, and he, is, he knows what's about to happen. Ultimately, what he will do in order to bring God glory is not just raise Lazarus from the dead, but Jesus himself will die and be raised from the dead for the glory of God the Father. That's what he will do. And so when he says, let's go to Judea, all the disciples understand what it's going to mean. So look at verse 8. Rabbi, the disciples told him, just now the Jews tried to stone you, uh, and you're going there again? Do you not understand what they're going to do to you when you get there? They're going to kill you. They're, 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 it doesn't make any sense. Why would you go there? It doesn't make any sense. And Jesus says these words in verses 9 through 11. Aren't there 12 hours in a day? Verses 9 and 10, rather. Jesus answered, if anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. If anyone walks during the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. He's, he's talking about the Jewish day, which is 12 hours. And ultimately, the, the example here, without getting into every single little detail of this illustration, Jesus is just saying, look, my ministry is not over yet. There's still light in the day. The light of the world is still here, and I'm not done yet. And so when I go to Judea here in just a minute, you guys may be scared that those people are going to kill me, but guess who's in charge? It ain't them. It's me. There's light in the day. I'm not done yet. That's what Jesus is saying. It's time to go to Judea. Oh, oh, oh they're, they're going to kill you. Ah, guys, stop. I've got this under control. They will not operate outside the will of God the Father. I have, I'm not done yet. There's light in the day. I'm not done. And then he says in verse 11, he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. Pretty simple. He's asleep. You realize that death to Jesus is something far different from death to us? Far different. Jesus looks at it as he, he, he uses the, the euphemism, he's asleep. Now he's not saying that, he, that he, you know, he's not avoiding the concept of death, but it's just a totally different thing to him. And then look, look at what the disciples say in verse 12. Then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll get well. <laughs> hey, all right, we don't have to go. Yay. He's just sleeping. You realize, God, that's good for people that are, that are ill. You know, they need to sleep, get some rest. It helps their immune system. I mean, that's what they're talking about. It, he's going to be fine. He's, Jesus, I promise. He, everything's okay. If he's just asleep, let him sleep. Don't bother the guy and wake him up. It's going you know, to slow the healing process. We're good. We don't have to go. They didn't understand anything, did they? Nothing. These guys walked around with Jesus for nearly three years, didn't understand him. I really believe that, that even though some of us have walked with Jesus a long time, and I say myself included, there's things about him we don't understand, do we? He's inexhaustible, by the way. Always more to learn. Always more to experience. Jesus answers. In verses 13 and 14, look at it. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Guys, he's dead. He's dead. You know, hello. You guys understand what I'm talking about? He's, he's dead. And then he says in verse 15, I'm glad for you I wasn't there. So that you may believe. Jesus says, I'm, I'm glad I didn't, I didn't go right then because I would have healed him and your faith would have been unaffected. Do you know the disciples had seen Jesus heal people over and 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 they still didn't understand him. Still didn't fully believe exactly who he was. And so Jesus is going to do something different. Something different. Something unexpected. Something that they didn't see coming. 
in order that, first of all, God may receive glory, and secondly, that their faith may be increased. If you may wonder right now, what is God doing in my life? This is so different. I've never experienced anything like this before. I don't know what to do about it. And in the case of the disciples, I'm scared where he's leading. Understand that he does nothing except for God's glory and that we may believe. That's why he does what he does. In fact, the entire Gospel of John is written, we see in the very last a few few verses that John wrote so that we might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He's showing us Jesus' own words. If I had been there and healed him in the normal way, everything's just status quo for you, you wouldn't have believed anymore. But if I do something different, it will increase your faith. And then he says, let's go to him. And then in verse 16, Thomas. You know anything about Thomas? What's he normally called? Doubting Thomas. Man, that guy. What if forever in church history you're known as the doubter, doubting Thomas? We need to anoint somebody here, doubting Clint. We'll, we'll just go with Clint, all right? He happens to be on it. But what if that was your nickname, doubting Thomas? You realize here he says to his fellow disciples, let's go so that we may die with him. Now, Thomas is a little bit ignorant, but he's got some he understands Jesus is going to Judea, to Jerusalem, so that he will, he will die. He understands that's about to happen. He says, all right, let's, let's go. We, we might as well die with him. If we're all going to die, let's, let's go with him. He shows some courage and some commitment, but, but he's still not seeing it, is he? He thinks that this is final, that death is going to have the final word, and he doesn't fully understand what Jesus is doing. Then look at verse 17. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And then look at what Martha says on behalf of all of us. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. I wish you'd have been here. I, I don't understand. Now she's not rebuking Jesus as if she's telling him all that he should know and whatever. She's just experiencing and expressing true human emotion. Lord, if you had done something, this wouldn't have happened. Maybe she's wishing that he hadn't left in the first place. That he would just stayed right there with her and, and her family. And then if, if Lazarus had gotten sick, boom, just right there, he could have healed her. And yet, he's out doing whatever he's doing, ministry and so on, blah, blah, blah. And Lazarus gets sick and Jesus is nowhere to be found. You ever felt like that? Imagine you have. I know we're in church, so I'm going to hold you to it. You cannot lie. We'll call down fire from heaven on liars this morning. And then I'll duck, right? But listen, we've all felt that way, haven't we? Oh, Lord, you know, if you'd done something, this would this would have happened. God, I, you know, I don't, I don't understand. She goes on to reiterate her faith. She does say in verse twenty-two. Yet even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. I, I, I and I still believe, but God, I'm confused. You been there? I, I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not disowning God. I'm not. I'm not doubting everything. But I'm. I'm pretty discouraged and confused right now. I don't. I don't know what He's doing. And then Jesus says in verse twenty-three, "Your brother will rise again." Here's the back and forth. Okay, keep it going. 
Martha says, I, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. The Jews believed that there would be one grand resurrection of all of God's people. All of Israel one day would rise from the dead and, and, they, and they, they, would, they would would live again. So that's what she's talking about. Yeah, on the last day. And then Jesus said to her, what? I am the resurrection and the life. Look what he goes on to say. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. What's he talking about? The resurrection, eternal life. And whoever, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. He's talking about the life that he gives. Ever, he says, do you believe this? It's a moment of truth for Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the hope of eternal life, that even though a person dies, yet shall they live. And I am the life. That resurrection power can be experienced now. John's gospel is the gospel of eternal life now. Not one day, someday, now. John says you can experience it now. Whoever believes will have life beyond death. Whoever believes will never truly die and yet will live. Do you believe this, he says. Verse 26, she says, yes, Lord. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. You ever want to know where to start with Jesus? Start right there. You, you ever want to know, okay, how do I... How do I do this thing of, okay, I want to be a Christian. What should I start with? A confession that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the one sent by God to die for our sins, to be raised again. Start with that. Confessing Jesus as Lord, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10. And then we have another interaction, verse 28. Look at it. Having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. She, she wants Mary to be able to interact with him. As soon as she heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. So he's somewhere outside. You can kind of picture that. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. So they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. These are all the professional mourners, by the way. Now, again, this seems really odd to us today, but back then... Then, even poor people were required to hire two flute players and a wailing woman. Required. You're paying them to be at the funeral. So you've got the flutes going on and some woman who's falling out all the time. All right? Falling out. You know who that is? Nope. But they're paying me pretty well. So I'm going to fall out. That's, you know. And so a lot of times they were friends and family. But they were paid. It was a, it was a, it was a deal, man. I mean, big deal. Seven days sometimes they would mourn. And there's all these professional wailers. And not wailers like in the sea, but wailers. You know, they're falling out wailing and crying. And that's, so that's all the people go out thinking, okay, well, we got to join her at the tomb and, and do some professional mourning here, all right? So that's what they go out. And what they're going to see instead is not her going to the tomb, but her going to Jesus. And what does she say? She falls at his feet, verse 32. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Both sisters feeling the same. I guarantee they talked about it. Guarantee they talked about it. If he shows up, we're going to ask him, where, where you been? What have you been doing? If you'd been here, I mean, I, we know, but still, if you'd been here. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was angry in his spirit and deeply moved. And we're going to see this again in verse 35, which of course, if, if you're into Bible memory, scripture memory, you say, where do I start memorizing Scripture? John eleven thirty five 35 is a wonderful, it's just, it's the perfect place to start. Do you know why? 
It's the shortest one in the whole Bible. We'll get there in just a second. You know, I just memorized some scripture this morning. Good for you. Two words. Anyway, so, so Jesus is deeply moved, it says. That means there's something inside of him that's turning over. He's emotional about it. And, and it says he's moved in his spirit. And later we're going to see he's angry. Why is he angry? I studied this all week long. And, and, I, and I can't find a full agreement on all that was going on in the mind and the emotions of Jesus. But I think it's some combination. He is angry at sin itself and the death that it causes. He is simply as God angry at what sin has destroyed in his world angry. And I think there's also some moving because he feels compassion for people who have to experience that sort of thing. He's not distant. That's why he came to earth. And there's also, I think, a little bit of anger at the unbelief of the people all around him. To say, folks, I keep telling you. And he asks him, do you believe? I think it's a combination of emotions. And regardless, he says there in verse 34, where have you put him he asked and they say lord come and see and here you go here you go you ready jesus wept you just memorized a bible verse you should be so proud why did he weep it just says that he bursts into tears but it's silent tears it's not the kind of wailing that's the professional kind to make a show jesus is there dealing with his emotions and it says tears come to his eyes you ever been so frustrated so so that you just, you cry? You've been there? Jesus wept, it says, verse 35. And then they say, see how he loved him, some of the Jews said. But then, some, this is great, here's the back and forth. Some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes have also kept this man from dying? You know, he's, he's nothing. Jesus, by the way, didn't address the crowd. A little side piece of advice, <clears throat> don't address the crowd. Crowd's gonna do what the crowd's gonna do. Haters gonna hate, you know what I mean? That's what's gonna happen. Don't address the crowd. Anyway, Jesus here in verse 38, it says, angry in himself again came to the tomb. It was a cave, so picture this. There's a there's a cave. And a stone was lying against it. So they rolled a stone inside the cave, carved out in the walls, or some places where they would they would lay the dead bodies. And then he says, verse 39, remove the stone. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, he already stinks. Isn't that great in this translation? <laughs> that's, what, that's what it means. Lord, there will be, there's, there's going to be a really bad smell. It's been four days. Stop there for just a second. This is so, this is so huge. And I mean this. The four days. Okay, There's a reason Jesus did what he did. And there's a reason he's doing what he's doing in your life. Do you know that in Jewish tradition and in Jewish belief that for three days they believed the spirit of the body hovered over the body waiting for an opportunity maybe to reenter it? And after four days, the body started to decay and the spirit departed and they recognized finally a person was dead. No hope. Done. Jesus, it says, when he got word of Lazarus on the first day, stayed where he was two more days. It's a one day's journey. He gets there after the fourth day. Not by mistake. Not because he got distracted. 
not because he didn't realize what was going on. He is going to clearly show what he came there to clearly show, and that in that finality, that doesn't have the final word. But Lazarus had to be really dead for Jesus to do what he's going to do. Maybe in your life, you have to get to the point where you're just really dead for God to do the work that he wants to do in your life. And for you to finally say, I can't do this. I cannot do this. Literally, this part of me is dead. This is over. And that's why they say to Jesus, don't, don't, oh, don't, don't do that. It, it, it's over. And Jesus said in verse 40, Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? He's constantly getting the last word. He's, he's dead, and, it, and it's not going to be good if you roll that stone back. Didn't I tell you? If you believe, you'll, you'll, you will see the glory of God. So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes, and here he prays, Father, I thank you that you heard me. He's already prayed. He's already asked for Lazarus back. He says, I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, and here's how he addresses a crowd, by addressing his father. He simply prays in their presence, so that they may believe that you sent me. He prays to his father, not so that God might sort of, well, okay, I guess I'll do this. No, he's already prayed and been heard, but he wants everybody to understand who he is and his connection with God the Father. And then it says, after he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. That simply means Lazarus, here now. Parents, you ever done that to your kids? Except you got a few extra names there attached, however many middle names they've got. You might be throwing in names from some grandfather or somebody. You, you, here you go, right here, right now. You know that kind of parental authority. Kids, you ever heard that from your parents? Whoa, um, okay. You don't delay at that point, do you? You hear them shout and yell at you. Hank, here, now, right? heard that a couple times that's what jesus does in full authority says here now calls him out it's interesting jesus did not whisper this though he could have he didn't need lazarus to hear him he wanted everybody else to hear him do you know that the magicians and so on in that time, they would go and they would try these little incantations and these little repetitive spiels and whatever, and, and they would do it kind of whispering so that nobody would really hear them, so that they could all be secret and whatever. Jesus just shouts in front of everybody. He doesn't need to whisper anything. He doesn't need to have some potion or some spell. He just says, Lazarus, come here right now. And I, and I was reading in, in different things this week, and they all reference the same thing. That There was an old country preacher who one time said that if Jesus hadn't called Lazarus by name, everybody would come out of the tomb. Everybody would have. Because he's so powerful. All the dead people would hear they come, you know. They would all come out. But he speaks to Lazarus, come out of the tomb, and guess what? Lazarus stands up, and here he comes. And then it says, verse 44, the dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips and his face wrapped in a cloth. He's a mummy. Here he comes out. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. And drops the mic and walks off the stage. You realize Jesus doesn't say another word after this. I just picture him just say, turn him loose, let him go. And he walks on. He doesn't stand there and bask in all the glory. He just says, there's the evidence. Everything about this was to display the glory of God through the Son so that they might believe, they might understand 
Jesus doesn't have to speak again. He gets the final word. Loose him. Let him go. The final word. Do you see the two perspectives? As we close, I want you to make sure you understand this. The two perspectives. They are saying it's over. Jesus says, I'm not finished. They say he's dead. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. You've been waiting all morning to get to that outline. And I'm going to give it to you real quick. The foundation of our faith is that Jesus has power over death. There's a whole lot packed into that little statement, but if that is not true, then none of what we believe is true. Because if it's not true, then Jesus is not God, because only the creator of life could give life as a master over death. Jesus claimed that he was God. The, the resurrection was claimed to be true. Even the Pharisees had to admit that there was no body in the tomb. Jesus has power over death. And if he has power over that, then he is who he says he is, and he can offer eternal life to all of us. If he has power over that, then he has power over everything else because nothing is more powerful and final in our minds than death, is it? The story, of course, is just a preview of what would happen at the empty tomb on Resurrection Sunday after Jesus had been crucified on Friday. He's raised on Sunday morning. That's why we celebrate it. Lazarus would eventually die again, but Jesus would not. And one day, those who are found in him, the Bible says, will be raised to be with him for all eternity. His promises in verses 25 and 26 remain that those who believe will never truly die. Death does not have the final word. So what do you do about it? How do you live that sort of resurrected life right now? Let me, let me, let me give you three things and we'll be done. I believe that if all that is true, if the Jesus truly does have power over death then life can and should be and will be affected by our faith and our surrender to Jesus. We will be different, and we will let your heart be encouraged. Today, let me encourage you with this. If Jesus has conquered death, if nothing is more powerful than him, then let, let your heart be encouraged even when it fears, even when it hurts, even when it rages, even when it cries. Let it be encouraged by the truth and the power of Jesus Christ. Secondly, let your faith be strengthened. When it doubts, when God delays, when He waits, not four days, but four weeks and four months and four years and four decades. When you don't understand, look to Jesus and let your faith be strengthened. And then thirdly, let your eyes be lifted. You can almost picture Jesus as he interacts with these sisters and the crowd and the mourners, the people, and they're all focused on this dead man and the finality. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection. Look at me. Look at me. This week, I want you to answer the question over and over and over, do I believe in Jesus in the middle of this? What if Jesus is not done with you? What if he's not done in that aspect of your life? What if that does not have the final word? What if he can bring those things back to life? What if he's not done? What if he wants God to get glory? What if he wants to increase your faith? Do I believe Jesus in the middle of this tragedy? In the middle of this heartbreak, this loneliness, this depression, this broken relationship, this failure, this confusion, this sickness, this death of a loved one? Do I believe Jesus in the middle of that? The rubber meets the road.
easy to believe in Jesus as we sit in church this morning? Do I believe Jesus in the middle of my life as He's lived every single day? I believe that if you will focus on that, turn your eyes upon Jesus as the song says, then He truly will show Himself to be the resurrection and the life giving you power that you cannot explain. So today the call is not to a set of beliefs or even to join the church, but to believe in Jesus. Maybe for the very first time, humbling yourself and saying, Lord, I need you. I believe you are the Son of God. Save me. Forgive me of my sins. Or maybe once again, you say, Lord, in this area of my life, I'm going to choose to believe in you. That you have the final word, that you're not done yet. Let's pray together.